sometimes it can be difficult to charge people who cannot pay. And people will say, well, you should charge them because they will get into debt to buy the next coaching course on business. So you should charge them for financial wellness. And you know that makes sense. That's valid. But a lot of times women are coming to Cleverwell Finance during a transition point. And a lot of times the transition point is at a time of need and they need the help now. And sometimes when they've come to us at the now, the limitation is the money. And for us, I just felt like we want to be able to meet that person at the point of their need who truly, truly needs the help who truly needs support, who's really ready to make that change. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 116 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Bola Shafumbi, the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. She has built one of the largest personal finance platforms for women in the U.S. and is on a mission to provide women with the tools they need to gain financial independence and live life on their own terms. You may recognize Bula from her many appearances on national news segments or from her books that are on shelves around the world. During our conversation, Bula shares how she went from racking up credit card debt as a college student to saving $100,000 and helping thousands of women gain financial literacy. If you're curious how a platform like Clever Girl Finance can actually be a viable business, Bola breaks down their streams of revenue, shares the key to scaling their business, and getting approached for book deals and national news segments. Before we hear the rest of Bola's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Bola's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script with Bola Shokumbi, the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. Bola Shokumbi, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm excited. Well, for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do? Yes. So I am the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance, and we are an online financial empowerment platform that empowers women to achieve financial wellness and be able to live life on their own terms. And I know you've shared how your mother's journey with personal finance eventually became an inspiration for Clever Girl Finance. So could you set the scene for us by sharing that story? Yeah, so um, I'll I'll try to keep it short and sweet, but (laughs) uh, my mom got married very young. She was 19 years old when she got married and she married, um, you know, an older guy, my dad, who um, was in his, I guess he was 30 at the time, had his PhD, um, you know, multiple master's degrees, et cetera. My mom was a high school graduate and it was the typical family setup where, the mother was a stay-at-home mom and the dad would go out and, you know, work for the money and take care of his family. But as my mom started to get older in her, in her marriage, her age, she started to see things happening with her friends that she just wasn't very comfortable with. She was seeing friends who had no idea of their family finances, um, you know, lose their spouses, unfortunately, or go through a divorce or want to leave a relationship, but they wouldn't be able to because they didn't have any money. And so my mom decided to take it upon herself to go to college and get a college degree. And then she basically started to hustle 
and put money aside and save. And lo and behold, you know, several years later, my dad went through a financial downturn and my mom had to step in as the breadwinner. And so just watching that, you know, as part of my experience growing up and seeing my mom consoling her friends, you know, I would be in the corner of the living room and she'd be consoling her friends who are trying to leave a relationship or getting divorced. And just watching her then evolve into being this side hustle queen and breadwinner of our family was very, very impactful and was very much the early stages of inspiring who I am today and what I do. And so you then moved to the U.S. for school and got your first taste of financial freedom in the form of a credit card. So how did you go from racking up credit card debt to then saving over $100,000 in three and a half years? Yeah, so coming to, I came to the States to college to graduate um, for my last year. And, you know, it was just very interesting at the time. It's not legal now anymore. Um, they would have these, at the, the career fair, they would have these different um, credit card companies there enticing students to get a free credit card, uh, get a credit card for a free t-shirt or mm-hmm. <clears throat> something. I remember. Something, <laughs> something along the lines, ridiculous like that. And so... Um, you know, I fell for that. I had no idea how credit worked. I didn't even understand what the interest rate was. And lo and behold, I got this $2,000 credit card, but then ended up with a 24.99 interest rate, which was mm. in, just crazy. And, you know, when I got my first bill, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to pay this? It might as well have been a million dollars. And so that was my first taste of, okay, I, financial responsibility, understanding how a credit card works. Um, if that's something I wanted to leverage in my life, you know, wanting to deal with that and all that came with that. And so coming out of college, my, just, my focus was really just, you know, how do I save money? How do I not get back into that space I was in college? How do I make my parents proud? And I started to learn everything I could about personal finance, reading books, learning what it was to budget, taking advantage of my company's um, retirement savings plan, um, you know, learning how to side hustle. And by doing all those things through trial and error, I was able to really put my head down and save money, um, that $100,000. And I had started out, you know, my first job, I was getting paid $54,000 before taxes or about 40K after taxes living in the New York City area. So it was definitely challenging, but I made it work and I figured out how to save my bonuses, save save my tax returns. also to to start a side hustle, start investing. So I kind of, you know, figured out how to make it work that way. Mm, I love that hustle because at the end of the day, if you want to accomplish that financial security, something's got to change. And one of the things I do love about you and your platform is just how transparent you are about your journey with personal finance. I'm just curious how having those savings that you were able to get and then later having your twins factored into your decision to launch Clever Girl Finance. Yeah, so those two those two incidences are several years apart, you know, mm-hmm. saving that money was coming out of coming out of college, having my kids was many years later after I got married. Um and, you know, so I think it was just it was there's many things that happened throughout then, um, before then, like I said, trying to just figure out how to, you know, build wealth and coming out of college as a child of immigrants, wanting to make my parents proud, knowing the sacrifices they had made in order for me to go to college, in order for them to support me going going through college. Um, and then it was, you know, determining, okay, now that I'm 
I, I've figured out how to save money and I'm reaching these milestones. What else do I want to accomplish for myself? You know, and it was going through those years, starting with that first hundred K, doing other things, saving more money, investing. And then when I had my kids, you know, it was, well, I want to be able to leave a legacy for my children, especially, you know, living in America, being black children, um, and knowing that opportunities for them are limited. And I want to position them as best as possible from a financial, um, monetary perspective, but also an educational perspective with them understanding the value of money and understanding how to give back and support their communities. So all of that combined and during that journey, just always talking about money, having conversations with my friends about what I was doing to invest and to save and to reach certain milestones, it became something that was normal conversation for me. So when I came around to wanting to start a business, well, wanting to start another business, <laughs> Clever Girl Finance, um, you know, it was just, what is, what is something that I'm interested in doing? What is something that I like to do? And, you know, everything that I was thinking about at the time revolved around just talking about what I talked about a lot, which was money and helping women. Cause I was talking to my friends and my colleagues and just sharing my story and my mistakes and my successes. And so that's how I arrived at Clever Girl Finance. So I know you did start off doing it as a side hustle. How did you then dive into running it full time? Yeah, so I was working um, full time when I started Clever World Finance. So Clever World Finance was, you know, the job that I did nights and weekends and early mornings once Mm -hmm. I got my kids situated. And I just got to a point where it was no longer sustainable to do the two. I mean, there you can do anything for a short amount of time, right? You can work on very little sleep for a number of months until you start to break down. You can, you can always get out of your comfort zone for a good, for a temporary amount of time. And then after that, you kind of have to determine, okay, what am I cutting loose hair? How am I going to readjust to continue the momentum of what I'm doing? And so I got to that place with Clever World Finance where I felt like the next thing that I needed to do in order for me to be able to take the business where I, I, where it was seeing the potential of it going was to focus my full-time energy on it. But obviously doing that, I had to, you know, create a plan. Okay. I know I want to quit my job and do clever finance, but like, what if this doesn't work out? And I want to be able to meet my financial obligations. It was creating a plan of putting money aside and really getting clear on what it was I wanted to accomplish with the business. And while I was putting that money aside and still running it as a side hustle, uh, which, you know, if you were to, if you were to, measure it by hours. It was like two full-time jobs, but while still working full-time, um, you know, I started doing all kinds of different testing of, you know, things I wanted to try in my business and, and things like that. So I, I did start as a side hustle and eventually transition. Um, I saved up enough money to cover about 18 to 24 months of my, um, financial obligations. And that's by no means a requirement for everybody, but that was what was my peace of mind number. Mm. Um, and I was like, if this doesn't work out, you know, worst case scenario, I'll go right back to work. Not a big deal. And so that's, that was how I approached it. So at the time when you made that go decision, how did you plan on monetizing the platform and how has that evolved over time? So I think when it comes to monetizing the platform, um, that's something that's always evolving. We've done so many things in Clever of Finance, um, things that we have tested that haven't worked, things that have worked, but we just didn't like to do as a business. Um, but starting out, um, I started out Clever of Finance with 
a physical product, which was um, a clever finance planner, the first iteration of our planner. And then I would also do um, one on one on one coaching back then. Um, so that was like the very um, beginning. But the first thing that we started with, with before I even took on any coaching was our physical product. And it was basically a complement to what it was that, you know, we did. So we're talking about finances and budgeting and all these things. And here is a guide that you can use to lay out your own plan. And I've noticed even more recently, you're taking on partnerships. And so how did that partnerships piece of your business evolve? Um, so the partnerships piece of our business evolved more so organically, um, just by virtue of us growing from a content perspective and from a brand perspective. Obviously, the more the bigger we become, the more attractive we are to certain types of brands. And so partnerships for us evolved organically. It's something that I held off of for a little bit a little while actually um i was hesitant about certain kinds of partnerships which we still don't do that i don't feel and, and there's nothing wrong with those kinds of partnerships but i just don't feel that they aligned well with our mission of empowering women to achieve financial success especially in the financial services financial product space but you know when it comes to partnerships you know as a business there are so many parallels because we focus on women we focus on wellness we will focus on finances so we've been able to um have many many opportunities in the space of partnerships. And that's one way that we monetize. I know that this space is heavily dominated by males and maybe white males in particular. (laughs) Have you had any challenges as you're navigating in the personal finance space and growing such a large platform when it comes to maybe gender bias in the space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gender bias racial bias, all of that is something I've experienced even before starting my own business, you know, stepping into a space that is tied to financial education, financial services, you know, in a space where most financial planners are male, I think it's like a 70% or even 80% number. It might even be higher um, statistic. So that's something that I've def- definitely um, experienced. You know, I've, I've had people tell me to my face, oh, I think your business is cute. Hmm. Um, <laughs> when we first started out, um, I, you know, are there even a million women of color in America who care about their finances, you know, wow. from a white, a white male, I've had all kinds of ridiculous comments. They don't believe that, um, personal finance or financial wellness is an issue for women of color. And the fact that we are branded in such a way is a gimmick because everybody in America has equal opportunities. So I've gone a lot of that, but honestly, I think I'm beyond the point where things like that phase me. Mm -hmm. Um, because um, the growth of the business speaks for itself. So I'm past needing anybody's validation as to, oh, is what you're doing... is, you know, I think it's cute. <laughs> I think at this point it's more than cute because it's impacting lives and it's helping women. And that's, you know, that's what's, what is most important to me. So I've definitely experienced the biases. And for anyone who's navigating those things, I think it's easy to get into exchanges or want to like prove your point right, right there and then. But I think you should focus on what your purpose is and why you started and let what you're doing speak for you mm. and let them see you succeed. Mm, I love that. Right in line with your mission, you recently made all of Clever Girl Finance's courses free to your community. And I thought that was so amazing, especially given the time we're in right now. And while I love that decision from a community building perspective, I also wonder how it impacted your bottom line from a business perspective. 
Yeah. So, you know, what's really interesting is that we have always, well, with the team, um, we've always had the intention of making our courses free. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, the challenge that I've always faced um, as the CEO of this company is going back to our mission, empowering women to achieve financial wellness and live life on their own terms. Sometimes it can be difficult to charge people who cannot pay. Mm. And people will say, well, you should charge them because they will buy all the things on Instagram. They will buy, you know, the next coaching course on business, they will get into debt to buy something. So you should charge them for financial wellness. And, you know, that makes sense. That's valid. But a lot of times women are coming to Clever Finance um, during a transition point. And a lot of times the transition point is at a time of need, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they need the help now and they need the support now and they've made decision or they've made the decision that they want to get out of debt or do something different with their finances now. And sometimes when they've come to us at the now, um, the limitation is the money, right? Some people Mm -hmm. don't value, why should I pay for personal finance? I'm never going to be able to get it. And some people are like, well, I want to do it, but I've made all these mistakes. I don't have anything left. And for us, I just felt like we want to be able to meet that person at the point of their need who truly, truly needs the help, right? who truly needs support, who's really ready to make that change. So that's something that we've always wanted to do. Um, But with COVID coming into play, uh, it just made sense for us to be able to support our community that way, especially our community that was paying for that, for those courses in the past or had paid for like, you know, supported us in different ways through all the different products and services that we've had over the the last five years that we've been in business. So that was a decision. Um, Fortunately for us, we have multiple streams of income through the business. Um, And also, you know, one of the things that I do that I carried into Clever Finance my personal finances was the idea of having a backup fund. And so Clever Oil Finance does have a backup fund and we do have investment accounts where we invest in other businesses. So we have that buffer there that was able to carry us through. And it was crazy because when we dropped that stream of income, I was like, you know what, let's just cross this off as a stream of income. But within a couple of months, that stream of income completely replaced itself. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I always feel that sometimes you, you really have to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, I have people on the team asking, are we sure we want to do this right now? And I felt if we want to make an impact, we want to really show our community that we stand for our mission when there's no better time than right now to be there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and you know, you know how it was, especially in March and April, I, I felt, um, there was just a lot of, I told you so, especially from people in the personal finance space. I'm like, that's not the approach you should be taking. Like mm-hmm. I told you to save, I told you to, to have an emergency fund. The, I told you so. I was like, no, that's, you know, so that was just our decision. And it's, it's, it's gone really well. Would you mind sharing some of the streams of income that you've been able to build into your business? Because I would say the challenge with a platform like yours for people who are newly starting businesses is they don't quite understand or see how to move beyond the point of I'm here to help to the point of I'm actually a viable business. Mm-hmm. So what I think with Clever of Finance, if you're an outsider looking in, you see me and you see me as a face of the business. And then when you look at the personal finance space, you see a lot of faces of the business, right? And there's a lot mm-hmm. of personalities in the business. And so if you are a personality and you're giving away all your resources for free, how do you make money? So that's a good question I get asked all the time. Mm. And I, I like to say I'm the personality of my business by default. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, I would not want to be the, per- the face of the business, but I am right now, just because, you know, um, you know, my story ties into a lot of 
how the business was built. Um, I'm a woman of color. A lot of people can relate to me. Um, but in terms of like revenue streams, right? Um, so just to keep that in mind is that you, you perception can be deceiving sometimes. Mm-hmm. Especially um, on social media. <laughs> yeah. So when you see Bola, it's like, oh, Bola is giving away her resources free. How is she making money? So there's one thing to be a brand personality and monetize that, which I, I do occasionally, but that's not my... Um, I'm very much introverted. I'm a faux extrovert. So that's just not what I, I just don't like to be the, <laughs> even though I'm doing it right now, like I'm following my, my mission, but it's not my ministry, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the basis of our monetization is content. We are a, we are a tech enabled media platform media. Our type of media is financial education content right now. Um, we may expand into other things later, but that's our focus. And that means we create an in- incredible amount of content. And we've always done that. I did that by myself. Um, mm. And it's more than their social media, which I tell every business owner, like social media, social media is cool. You know, there are times where you can have something to sell and you can get some quick wins. But in terms of building longevity in your business, you need to step outside of that space and lay your foundations and use your social media as a funnel to get you there. So our content really ties into a lot of the revenue we make. Um, we do part brand partnerships like you alluded to. We do advertising um, on our site. We do uh, affiliate partnerships. Um, we do content. Um, for other people, either branded Clever Girl Finance or Ghost, ghosted by Clever Girl Finance mm-hmm. <laughs> for a lot of big brands. Um, so there's content that you may read that is actually created by Clever Girl Finance behind the scenes. Um, obviously, there are the books um, in the space. Um, we do workshops, speaking engagements. So there's this long list and the monetization advertising comes like from our site, our podcast, um, within our free courses. So there's all these different levels to which we monetize. Um, and we are able to do that because we create so much content. And when you create content, you attract an audience. And when you attract Mm -hmm. an audience, um, you make yourself attractive to make money in all these different monetize, different forms of monetization, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. But I would say once you are a content generation machine, that's a beast that you constantly have to keep on feeding. And at what point did you go from just you creating the content to now bringing other people in to help support all the platforms that you're currently Mm -hmm. on? Yeah, it's a beast that you you have to keep on feeding, um, specifically on social media, right? Social media is very much 24 hours, you're done. You have mm-hmm. to bring something fresh to the table. But for us, we the bulk of what we create is outside of social media and it's content that's evergreen. Mm-hmm. And it's content that even if we don't create another piece of content, it's still relevant in five years and 10 years from now. And it's still searchable and people are still leveraging it, right? So we are very, very much an SEO focused business, um, anything that has to do with search engine optimization across like not just Google, but like platforms like Pinterest and like, um, you know, other areas like that. So, um, I started out creating content on my own, you know, I would write a lot of articles. I love to write. And then I think it just evolved organically as my responsibilities kind of expanded or adjusted in the business. And I would bring someone on to support that. So now we do have a team of writers, um, that support like the content that we create, um, on the site. We do have, um, social media focus that 
to support the content that we create on social media. And, you know, in terms of the base that you have to keep feeding, um, we start with our home base and our home base is our website. And our website lays the foundation for all the content that we create. So for example, let's say we create a blog post today on, I don't know, five ways to save money. Um, we can take that article and turn it into a podcast and turn it into a video and turn it into several social media like mm-hmm. Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest posts. So we're very purposeful with the way we create our, our content and intentional about how we leverage it. Um, and we try to create content that we are able to, to um, repurpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you know, and, and keep relevant. Um, so it, so it is a, it is a beast, but it is, um, you know, it's, it's a beast that can fend for itself when it's not getting fed, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> even when nobody's working on the business, even if nobody was working on the business, people are still reading our content. They're still finding us. And for us, that's, I think for any business, that's incredibly important because of noise. And, you know, in, in this day and age where it seems like everybody is like a mega success on Instagram, it makes people think that business is easy and mm. there is a, a sidestep to hard work, right? But what you don't see in the background for all these truly successful businesses, because a lot of times everybody can, everybody on Instagram is a superstar. When <laughs> you step outside <laughs> of that, um, is there is a lot of hard work that goes into it, right? And creating content is hard, mm. um, especially consistently over time. Um, it's hard, but we do it. And because we know long-term it's worthwhile um, and we're reaping the rewards of that now. And I see that because that's how I found you is you created some good content and I latched onto you. So it works for itself. So you don't have to go out there and kind of... And I will add that it's relevant to any business. Content creation doesn't Mm -hmm. matter whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, you're selling physical products, whatever it is, it's so relevant. Um, and for me, like content was incredibly relevant when I was doing my photography business, Mm -hmm. um, in any business, content is relevant. There's no business where, because when you think about human behavior, if I want to find a doctor, I want to find a restaurant, I want to find seamstress, I'm stepping out of social media or I'm using a hashtag on social media to search. When I find you, I'm finding you by virtue of your content. Mm-hmm. If I go on Google to search for something, right? How I find you is through content. Um, so people minimize that because it is a slow play and a long play. Mm-hmm. But if you want <laughs> but, longevity um, in a viable business, yes. you got to think long-term and not just that 24-hour social media cycle. And this is a conversation I love to have with my clients because first of all, people don't like to be the face of their brand. And second of all, it's hard, as you said, to create that good content that kind of you know, is available long-term. Exactly. I, because on the social platforms, you don't own, like, you don't own, right? You're you know. subject to what Instagram decides to do when it comes mm-hmm. to their algorithms, right? So right now, so many brand, brands are being shadow banned because they're posting about people going to vote mm-hmm. or talking about, you know, political climate. And Instagram going to decide that, you know what, which is what they're currently doing. They only show what you post to a certain percentage of your audience. And if they decide, you know what, we're canceling this whole platform, the entire followers that you think you own, which you don't own, they go, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no way for anybody to find your business. So I think social media is great, but social media is not the business. Social media is the leverage and the marketing tool from a business perspective that you use to redirect people to your business. Mm. Amen. You're speaking my language because it's risky to build your whole business on someone else's platform. 
I see this time and time again, and I've seen businesses be devastated because of a simple algorithm change, mm -hmm. um, because their account got blocked or restricted or reported, um, or because they just couldn't keep up with that 24-hour cycle or even less, like constantly posting. That stuff is draining. <laughs> and if that's the only pathway you have for people to find you, I mean, I get it. A lot of people are making a lot of money on Instagram and that's great, but you also want to think long-term. Like when Instagram dies down, you know that it's going to be another platform, then another platform. Everybody remembers Friendster. And what was before mm -hmm. Friendster? And people are now like, what about TikTok? TikTok. <laughs> Should Snapchat. I be on there? Mm -hmm. Every, you should be on there, right? If that's something that you enjoy doing and you're, you're seeing traction as it comes to directing people to your business, but you still want to have your own home base that you mm -hmm. own, you know, your email list, your website, those foundational aspects of building a business so that you can communicate and you can be found outside of social platforms. Oh, I love that. I, I also thought it was kind of funny. I've never heard this term that you said you're a faux extrovert. Um, yes. <laughs> yet I feel like every time I turn around, you're on some national television outlet. So I, I'm curious, <laughs> have you pitched yourself for these opportunities or are they approaching you? Um, so for the most part, they're reaching out to Clever Girl Finance by virtue of the content we create. Um, mm. I have done... I haven't pitched myself to television before. I've pitched myself to other things. Like when we have something that we're trying to promote, um, that definitely happens. But I just a lot of the things that you see me doing, partnerships, many of them are organic by virtue of the content or the relevancy of the content we create in a certain period of time. Um, so yeah, and that's also good. You know, we, like I said, we do pitch occasionally for specific things that we're doing and that's something that, you know, we're building more into the business and I do it because it helps to promote the brand and the mission mm -hmm. of what we're building. So yeah, you know, what faux introvert just, you know, it, you, introverts, um, typically they draw, they gain energy from just like being by themselves, um, and not having to constantly like, um, just be on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so it takes a lot of preparation <laughs> to do stuff like that, but it's fun. I am at the point where I don't mind it. Um, so yeah. Now you carry yourself well. I saw you on with, I think, Ryan Seacrest recently. And yes. he peppered you with questions and you handled it so well. Um, and I think if that's someone's first encounter with you, it really speaks highly of your brand. So all in all, it's, it's, it's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Of course. People can't ever see the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It translates on television. And that's definitely not where you want to be showing nerves. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so thinking back as a 24-year-old, you picked up a book to learn about personal finance. And now fast forward a few years, you now write books to help others reach their personal finance goals. Could you share what the process of becoming an author has been like for you? Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's interesting. So, um, you know, the process has been, it has been great. Um, I wouldn't think that in three years I would have written three books. I actually mm -hmm. just finished, finished my third book on Friday. Yes, congrats. Um, Thank you. I'm that comes for out. the audio version. <laughs> no, so that, yeah. So, you know, with COVID, um, the audio for book two was delayed because I couldn't get into the studio in time. So it's out in November next month, this month. Woohoo. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> back to your question. Um, you know, 
writing a book is challenging. It's extremely hard. Um, I write, but I like to write in short form. Um, like I said, if you had told me I would write three books in three years, I would have told you you were crazy. But the process was enlightening. And I, in writing the book, I, I thought about um, what is the bigger purpose? What am I writing a book for versus a blog post? And it's really, um, you know, to when I first started my journey on personal finance, I wanted to find a personal finance book written by a woman and I couldn't find any mm-hmm. at the time. And even now they, they are there, but they're just not compared to other personal finance books, there's not a lot of books written by women, period, right? They're there, but they're not that many. You can count Mm. them. Um, And I remember finding the best-selling New York Times personal finance book for women. It was written by a white man. I thought, okay, this is interesting, but I bought it. It was great. But, you know, as I started building Clever World Finance, I'm like, you know, I would want to write the book that I wanted to find written by a woman, written by a woman of color, which women of color are much, much fewer in the personal finance space. And even in the investing space, it's like mm-hmm. barely any. I want to find someone that, you know, there's a saying that it's easier to aspire to, to what you can see. Mm-hmm. And if I can be a source of motivation, inspiration to, a, to another young woman, that's a woman of color, or just a woman period trying to navigate her finances, I want to be able to do that. So, you know, that's part of why I've written the books um, to create representation in the space or additional representation in the space. And also, you know, when you, when you are able to say you are a published author, um, to me, that's a big deal. I, I have a big deal of respect for so many authors who I love their books, I admire. And a book is something that is evergreen. There's, I, I have books from 20, 30 years, 40 years. I mean, The Richest Man in Babylon, who knows how old that book is, mm-hmm. but it's still impactful even after the author is not here, right? Um, so I enjoy the process. People ask me a lot about um, deciding to go between self-published and traditionally published. Right. I don't know if that was on your question list, but no, I'll answer no, it. Anyway. please, <laughs> go ahead. Um, and, you know, when you self-publish, you, you take on the cost, but then you, you take on all the profits and all of the revenue. Um, but for me, going traditionally, going through a traditional publisher was a better fit for me because the book for me was less about profits and more about reach. And when you work with a traditional pro- uh, publisher, they have the means to extend the reach of your book through bookstores, through audiobooks, through, you know, the book is sold internationally. Like if you're in a different country and you're listening to this and you can't find the book, all you have to do is ask your bookseller to order it. Um, to having your book, having the book in public libraries, that's incredible. Um, right. And that's part of our mission to reach as many women as possible. And so with less about profits and more about reach. Um, and so that's why I chose um, traditional publishing. I will say just in talking to the guests that we've had on the show in the in the publishing space, traditional publishing isn't always accessible to anyone or to everyone. And I think it helps that you were first able to build a recognizable platform that you could then leverage as you talked to editors or look to sell the book. Exactly. So that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, content, but it's hard and it's yes. difficult, but it's yes. so worth it. <laughs> In the and, long run, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually didn't pitch the book, uh, pitch a publisher. The publisher pitched me. Well, hello. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it was, 
a case of there is this company called Clever Oil Finance. You guys should look into it. And it's, hey, we think what you're doing is really interesting. Because remember, when you're working with a traditional publisher, it's a partnership, right? Mm-hmm. They they will support you with your reach and promotion, but they also want to bring on a publisher that they, that they know, a, an author that they know can sell books. Right. To, so, um, so yeah, you know, everything majority of what we do, our growth, what you see, all comes back to our home base, all comes back to our foundation, which is content. And content is not just a blog post. Content comes in many, many different forms. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to start with all of them. We started with one, which was the blog. You know, content is what you create on social media, content, what you put on your blog, content is a podcast like this one, content is videos, content is TikTok and Pinterest. Um, But we create content because that's our foundation. That is what has helped us grow and will continue to help us grow into the future. So you, so it's our content is basically our agent. (laughs) (laughs) And it's It's out there doing the work for you. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's our publicist. (laughs) Oh, so that's a great way to think about it. Let your, your content speak for itself and amplify your brand. Exactly. Yes. But you have to create it. You have to do the late nights. You got to do the research. You got to talk to your audience and see what they want to hear. And, you know, as you start to create the content that you feel good about, it to start to attract that ideal client. So when you're building a, com- a company, right? One of the biggest things you'll hear people say, oh, create an avatar, create an ideal customer, ideal client, this person that you want to buy from you, but how do you reach them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to spend on advertising, right? Um, you reach them by speaking their language, exactly. right? And yes. you speak their language in the content that you create that is going to attract them and start to build the relationship between you and that ideal customer. Like they'll get to know you, they'll get to like you, they'll get to trust you. And then they'll kind of carry on the journey with you. And then they, they start to, you start to build brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. And that is so, so important. Um, building brand loyalty, building an amazing base of um, people um, beats any individual sale that you will make from somebody who doesn't know you that will buy from you once and never come back again. Mm-hmm. Because those people that are loyal, that, that are super fans, they will also help you further your mission and amplify everything that you're doing without you having to beg, right? Because they're just that tied into what you're doing. Yes. The number one form of marketing today still is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. It's people telling other people about your business. It's people tagging other people on social media about your business. There's nothing that beats that. Word mm-hmm. of mouth. Because once somebody catches on, right, they're going to promote you. They're going to tell everybody. And even when you may not be constantly relevant, somebody may say, oh my God, you know what? I need X, Y, Z for this situation in my life. When they start to rack their brain, the first thing that comes to their mind is you. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. And how do you say top of mind? content. Exactly. That's how they get to remember you. So you can tell I'm a a huge content proponent. Um, I love content. (laughs) Same here. Same here. I was just talking to someone about their content strategy because at the end of the year, this is kind of the ideal time for you to be figuring out your content strategy for next year so that you don't reach the beginning of the year and wonder, okay, what am I creating? What am I posting? You can hit the ground running, but it's important that you're as, just as you said, that you're very intentional about the kind of content that you're creating and it's not reactive. It's the kind of content, the people who need to hear it 
are going to respond to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So just through focusing on content, you've become one of the largest personal finance platforms for women in the U.S. Wow. Just sit in that. Just over know, the past five years, you've crazy. built a lot. Yeah. It's so, crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> so when you look back over the past five years building this business, what have, been, what have been some of your biggest defining moments? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I'm, <laughs> there have been many. I actually keep a list. Um, you know, I'm probably blanking right now, but I think one really big moment was just having my own book in my hands. I went to the mm. bookstore. So I got a, uh, I knew the day was coming out and I was like, oh yeah, it, it can't be that big of a deal. You know, the, my local bookstore is probably not going to have it. And I went there and, and I see the book and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm exciting. telling the, the guy, this was last year. I'm telling him, like, oh my God, I wrote this book. He's like, oh great. Amazing. <laughs> Have you taken your kids to the bookstore and shown them your books on the show? Yes, I took oh. them to another bookstore. They're like, mommy, that's your book. I'm like, I know, it's crazy. Oh, see, you talked <laughs> about the legacy the and here it is. You're passing it on to them. Yeah, and then people just sending me pictures, like strangers seeing my book in a store, like in the UK um, or in Germany. It's just crazy. Um, so that is like a huge, you know, one. Um, I'm trying to think of, others, but there have been many milestones in business. Um, but that one, um, has been particularly memorable. That's major. So (laughs) now going into 2020, what are the personal finance goals of the personal finance guru herself? (laughs) 2021, you mean? Yeah, 2021. (laughs) Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, one of my big, um, goals is to, to pay it forward. Um, so supporting my children through college, um, again, while teaching them the value of money so they, they understand this opportunity that they have. Um, investing, I think, um, unfortunately, the economy is is still going to continue to go through a lot of swings mm. um, through the next year until we have some sort of, you know, vaccine or something that we can, that can put us on the path to recovery. And, but I think that there are still going to be opportunities there. So investing, those are big goals. Um, so yeah, so those are my, you know, creating generational wealth for my kids, getting them through college, investing. Um, my goals are very simple, right? Um, I feel fortunate to have been able to accomplish a lot of things so far. Mm-hmm. So really primarily now it's just building that legacy, being able to take care of my family. Um, that's really important. Okay. And so from a personal finance perspective, what are the top five things people listening right now should be doing to set themselves up for success for next year? Yes. Especially given the climate right now that Mm -hmm. we're in, um, if you're fortunate to be employed, you have revenue coming in or a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, you have revenue coming in. You want to build an emergency fund, not just for yourself, but for your business. One of the things I talked about, um, earlier was that, you know, when we dropped that stream of income of our courses, it's like, okay, how are you going to make money? But we did have a backup fund and we continue to build that fund so that if we don't make a dollar, right, for a period of time, I can still pay everybody. We can still continue to move as a business. So emergency fund in your personal life is important, but in your business is important. A lot of people forget that. Mm -hmm. Um, Forget about 
creating that backup. Your business can have a savings account. Your business can have an investment account. You can invest in the stock market on behalf of your business, mm-hmm. right? You can do all these things. So keep that in mind. Um, I would also say that once you have your emergency fund, if there's like any high debt that you have, and again, you're earning money right now, um, focus and prioritize and pay, prioritize and paid off just to free up that money to put towards your goals once that high interest that is gone, gone, especially credit cards or personal loans, yeah. things like that. And then um, um, I would also say that, you know, start to seek out opportunities to bring in additional streams of income through your business, through things you may have in your garage, through services that you can offer, through getting a better paying job, through getting a part-time job, what can you do to bring more money and get out of your comfort zone and figure out how you can earn more money. It is so, so important. That way, if you lose a job, if your business is slow, if something happens, you are not dead in the water. You have other options. So, so key. Uh, I would also encourage people to make sure that they have the right kind of insurance, especially like, you know, business owners, um, if, you know, having the right kind of business or liability insurance um, as an individual, the right kind of health insurance, especially if you are employed, because those things are, healthcare is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, you don't want a, a serious issue that could have been covered by insurance a few hundred dollars a month to derail your entire financial plan. Um, and then if you're unemployed, um, I will encourage people to get creative. You know, you're unemployed. It's hard, but now it's time to start thinking about what can you do to earn money? Is this a time to start that business while you work a part-time job, while you look for that full-time job? How can you budget what you have? Even if you're leveraging credit, you can still budget so you minimize how much that you take on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're getting unemployment, you can budget that, right? So it's all about thinking about what opportunity do I have to do better than I did yesterday? And that's what I would encourage everybody to do. And I'm thinking about that for myself constantly. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is the perfect note to end this conversation on. You've just shared so many gems, really packed. We're going to have to listen to this over and over again. But for now, people who are interested in following your journey and then also leveraging some of the resources you have to share, where can we find you? Yeah, you can just come to clevergirlfinance.com, follow us on social media at Clever Girl Finance. go on Google search Clever Girl Finance. Um, we have over 30 plus completely free courses. As you, as you had mentioned earlier, we have our books, we have our website, podcast. So just stop by um, and check us out. And YouTube. <laughs> yes, and YouTube. <laughs> I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bola. It was great chatting. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.